Before we get to the show, I just wanted to remind everyone that we are gearing up for another one of our mailbag episodes where listeners just like you can call in and ask questions of Basecamp co-founders Jason Fried and David Heinemeyer Hansen, or heck, anyone here at Basecamp. So if you have a question you'd like answered on the air, you can leave us a voicemail at 708-628-7850. All right, on to the show. Welcome to Rework, a podcast by Basecamp about the better way to work and run your business. I'm Waylon Wong. And I'm Sean Hildner. You know, Basecamp as a company has always been opinionated. Heck, that's the entire premise for Rework, the book and this podcast. Well, it turns out that when you have strong opinions, some folks don't always agree with them. And that's healthy. On today's show, we're trying something a little novel, a civil discussion between two people with differing viewpoints. One of those people is Basecamp co-founder David Heinemeyer Hansen, whose voice you know pretty well by now, and the other is Matt Mullenweg, the founder of WordPress and Automatic. Possibly the most surprising part of this whole thing is that this discussion started in the most uncivil environment, Twitter. Thankfully, David and Matt agreed to move the conversation to the phone, and they have a lot of mutual respect for one another. They spoke for just over an hour about tech monopolies, accountability, and power dynamics in open source software. This is a supersized episode for us, but we wanted to present the call as unedited as possible. So we'll get out of the way and leave it to David Heinemeyer Hansen and Matt Mullenweg. My name is Matt Mullenweg. I am the co-founder of WordPress in 2003. And a few years after that, I started a for-profit company called Automatic that I've been the CEO of for the past five years. And then finally, last week, and what kicked this off is uh, we announced uh, an investment where um, Salesforce, which is a large enterprise CRM company, bought 10% of the business for $300 million. And David and I started going back on back and forth on Twitter, and I felt like Twitter was not enough to actually have a good conversation around this. So I'm glad we we're able to hop on and uh, discuss it with a bit more nuance. Absolutely. Well, first of all, thanks for coming on the Rework podcast. We are talking about before we started recording. It's just so great when you can have a conversation that can start in something like online and you can then jump on a higher bandwidth medium in such a short period of time. So thanks again for for coming on and and having a chat. I, I know that sort of, as you say, Twitter you're putting it very diplomatically, I think, isn't always the best place to have a good conversation. I'd say it's pretty much never a good place to have a good conversation. It's a great place to lobby snipey tweets and and get things going. I'm a longtime fan of starting inquiries through snipey tweets. Um, Ha, I I fell for it. You caught me. (laughs) Uh, Hook and sinker here. Um, So I think what would sort of, to give a little bit more context, what started from my end was um, seeing you guys announce the funding round. This was a Series D round, I think. I did an interview around it. Yeah, there was a quote in the interview. Yeah, exactly. It was the quote in the interview that really sort of just fell into all my prejudice about venture capital and about what's going wrong in the online world today, which was we want every website, whether it's e-commerce or anything to be powered by WordPress. And then following that up with kind of like, well, there's no reason WordPress couldn't have an 85% market share of, well, I guess everything, of the internet, Um, which just sort of just instantly sent these shockwaves through my system going like, what the fuck? (laughs) And what, what, what did that sort of bring up for you? Like, what did you imagine there? What's going wrong right now online for me is that the internet has been captured. And it's been captured by, what, 10 companies, Uh, maybe fewer than that, like five, really, that sit so heavily on so much of the internet that, first of all, they get to dictate everything, and then there's scraps left for everyone else. And when I think about the work that I try to do with the web, and I, I guess also why this kind of rankled me was because I thought also the kind of work that you guys have been doing for a long time for the web is to promote this open, free web, the open, free internet, which to me is in direct opposition to an internet that's dominated by just a handful of players who sit on vast monopolies that allow them to do basically whatever the hell they want. So in your idea, like an open and free internet would have like five players with 20% each or well, like more? More like 5,000 players with 
1% each. Well, maybe that's an overstatement in some cases, right? <laughs> that's some VC math right but, there. But to have just like a very large, rich uh, ecosystem of providers of tools and of services and so on. Because if you think about the, the web today, like if you want to say something sort of live, right? Like Twitter pretty much dominates that, right? If, if you want to share photos online in, in kind of a, a broad approach, like Instagram is very dominant on that. If you want to engage with a general purpose social network, I mean, Facebook is pretty dominant in that. And when you think about all the, those domains, when I think of sort of what's left, right? Like what hasn't been captured in this way? I think about blogging. I think about podcasting. Those are probably the two main media that haven't been captured in this way. So to think that like, hey, this blogging thing that's kind of like haven't been captured yet, seeing that as a goal to be captured, just like, yeah, I hope that's not what he actually means. Well, I wonder what, um, for podcasting, for example, what percentage of podcasts go through Apple's default podcasting app? It's probably a high percentage but i think podcasting is an interesting example because even if apple perhaps has a high slice there first of all the platform is open in the sense that like anyone can use anything else i use overcast for example for for podcasts me too and also that that apple it's built on rss and enclosures exactly. and some really cool software that's that's very open web by default although a lot of the newer ones like even spotify are same, upload it to our platform. Which, which I think, again, Spotify was the other one that sort of tickled me when they were like, oh, we're going to have these exclusives. We're going to basically close down podcasting to mean um, like we want to own podcasting. And I think that that's the same thing I'm, I'm sort of fearing with an announcement like that from WordPress. It's like, well, we want to own blogging. When I go like, fuck that, no one should own blogging. And, and when I say own, I think you bring up a good point here about like RSS and... Um, and even HTML and so on. There's a lot of these open standards that this thing is built on that are perhaps different from like the proprietary protocols of a Facebook or a, a Twitter. But I don't think for me, that's not enough. I would say it's not just protocols. I mean, when you talk about those services, they have network effects of having everyone kind of on the same domain, same database. And none of them are open source, <laughs> which is interesting. I'll, I'll say my response. Well, first, let me say the exact quote. I said, I think there's potential to get to a similar market share as Android, which I believe now has 85% of all handsets. When you think about it, open source has a virtuous cycle of adoption, people building on the platform, and more adoption. Uh, so where I think that you can have, I would say, good growth of a platform, actually, I wonder if, if Rails is a good example of that. Like, What percentage of frameworks built on Ruby would you say like Rails has a market share of? terms of users or the apps built on it. Very high. But I'd also say that defining the space for frameworks just to Ruby would be kind of defining like blogging just to things built on WordPress, right? Like for example, like for me, I don't, I don't really, I don't care that WordPress is built on PHP, right? Whatever dominance the WordPress might have in terms of its slice of the web, whether that means like it's number one on PHP, to, I don't know. That doesn't feel like it has like a huge influence on kind of like the future of the internet um, in much the same ways that like whether Rails dominates Ruby or not doesn't feel like it has an influence on the future of the internet versus WordPress having an 85% slice of the internet. I mean, pretty big influence on the, on the future of the internet, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, by that definition, you're also excluding some things from blogging. So you're not calling Twitter microblogging or people publishing text and pictures on Instagram or Facebook as blogging. Although, you know, in terms of a job to be done or, or user interface, these things have a lot of overlap. So if you were to include those, maybe like number of posts per day, I bet our market share would go way down. Which, which, um, <laughs> true, but also doesn't that sound like a little bit like Zuckerberg saying, well, I mean, Facebook doesn't have a monopoly. Like we compete against things like sleep and we compete against things like eating lunch because these are all sort of just <laughs> uh, competition for attention. I think uh, Netflix did the same thing, right? Like we're, we're not competing against Apple Netflix or, that, or yeah. whatever. We're competing against sleep. Well, I've, I've heard the same argument from Facebook basically saying the reason they don't have a monopoly is that they're in the sort of attention marketplace, right? And, and as long as they don't have a full eight to 10 hours slice of your attention every day, well, other things are taking your attention. So, I mean, I, 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 mean, I still hear the argument. I just, I, I find that <laughs> right now we are, we are in, a, in a space where the pendulum has swung so far into the era of consolidation and monopolization and 
control rested with the very few. And then that's a worse place to be than when, for example, I got into blogging. I started my blog in, I think, 2001, and I started it on Gray Matter. Do you remember Gray Matter? Of course. I was very inspired by Gray Matter. Gray Matter is this pearl collection of scripts and there was gray matter and there was movable type and blogger came a little while later and there was just it felt like there was like a ton of platforms it it felt more interesting i think that's also part of it that that a diverse text pattern text pattern yep uh, a diverse set of tools where there isn't just one monolithic dominating platform is, is is a more interesting place to be. It's a more free place to be. It's a more experimenting place to be. And when I contrast those two worlds, I'm nostalgic in like the best sense of that word. I think you might have some rose-colored glasses there. I mean, when WordPress came on the scene, the big criticism was there's already too many blogging platforms. And Movable Type had of the self-hosted market, probably like 90%. LiveJournal, Blogger were utterly dominant, really Blogger. Um, had been bought by Google and was owned by Google already when WordPress started. How I think about it, and this is, I think, a really interesting conversation because our companies are so philosophically aligned. Like, And that's partially because you publish a lot of your stuff, right? Automatic has been very influenced over the years by the things that you and Jason and 37 Signals in general have, have published about what you do. So where we differ, I think, is a really interesting place to mine. So you know, right now, WordPress's market share in the same scale I was talking about, that 85%, is about 34%, which means that the technical number there is a site called W3Techs, indexes the top 10 million domains, unique domains, takes out all the spam, everything like that. Of all the 10 million sites, uh, 34% of them are running WordPress. That's actually 10 times the number two, uh, which is another open source platform. I forget if Drupal or Joomla is in the number two. And in fact, in terms of every year, we're growing the equivalent of a couple of Drupals in terms of the, the sort of percentage of the web we're picking up. Does that, does that seem healthy to you? Like, is that a good place? If you, if you take off your CEO hat for a second, does that seem like a healthy mm-hmm. marketplace? Well, these are really vibrant competitors. Well, they're not fact, that vibrant if, you look if at the you're wider growing market. like several times like number two, right? Or if you're 10 times bigger than number two. I don't think anyone would say, oh, there's a vibrant market in in rental cars if Avis had like 10 times the market share of Hertz. Well, that's what's beautiful about the web. So Shopify only has, I think they say 800,000 merchants. And on that W3 tax number, they show up, I think around one to 2% or something. So way, way, way smaller. But look at the business that they built on top of that yes. small yes. slice of domains. So unique domains is not like the only measure. And in fact, you know, in the past few years, we've had Wix, Squarespace, Shopify, in addition to all the amazing improvements that happen in, have happened in other open source CMSs, and no one's launching all the time. So that's, I think, one of the beauty of open source is even though open source can become a bit of a standard, it doesn't prevent others from starting on it. And in fact, within the WordPress world, there's been a lot of interesting takes or flavors of WordPress that are built. So this page builder is like Elementor or Visual Composer or the one we made called Gutenberg that um, that can sometimes have millions or sometimes even north of 10 million sites on them. And the truth is that if I had an evil hat on, like let's say I started doing evil Monopoly stuff, people could easily fork the software and they would. Uh, just tomorrow. So there's a, there's a checks and balances there. So that's why I love, I mean, probably why we both love open source is it allows you to be truly sovereign, right? You know, it doesn't matter what I say or do or don't do. WordPress belongs just as much to you as anyone else. And any sort of moderate set of developers can take it and make it their own or not do updates Wait, or whatever they want to yes, do. Yes, I, I, I say I'd, I'd bought into that perhaps more before I actually ran <laughs> a major open source project for many years and realize that that power is illusionary. Like technically someone could fork Ruby on Rails tomorrow, right? What is the likelihood that that fork is going to succeed once you have kind of sort of this juggernaut of network effects actually to some extent. You you mentioned it before, right? That WordPress is growing so much faster than anyone else. The gravitational pull is is huge. So should someone fork it and then introduce incompatibilities or whatever, what is the likelihood that that's going to be a serious contender? For me, my assessment would be extremely low. Just the same as if someone was to fork Ruby on Rails today and call it whatever, Snoopy on Pails. (laughs) Um, Like 
the odds of that being anything than a curiosity for two days of Hacker News, I'd say extremely low, which is exactly why I think this, this conversation is interesting. Is Open source sometimes, to me, and I say that as beneficiary of this, is it can provide a veil over true power and who has that power. And I would argue that WordPress being in the position a third of all these um, domains you just recounted, being on WordPress, right, is tremendous power. And even if that power is somewhat distributed, it's still very much so located mostly with the company backing that engine. And that you build like a commercial business on top of it that then even uses the name goes even further just to say that there's a lot of power here. And the last point I want to make in that is, of course, there's a lot of power. Why would venture capitalists and otherwise invest half a billion dollars into WordPress if they didn't see Automatic as the company as having a lot of uh, power over WordPress, right? Like, I, I think, I mean, the whole uh, reason someone is able to raise that kind of money is off the back of something that's where, where someone can pitch, hey, we have like a third of all websites on the internet and we think we can get to like almost, uh, or we can get to 85%. That that's like, that's a very compelling venture story, right? Like, hey, already have like the beginnings of monopoly. There's a straight shot to a monopoly. Once we get to a monopoly, we can extract monopoly rents and therefore a company can be worth billions of dollars. Where do you differ on, on, on Dennis? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's some, uh, some good threads there. I guess first is, you know, no one's forced to use WordPress. And that's not just a thin veil. I mean, there's a ton of options out there, including like, I think at the Rails demo, it's like build a blog in five minutes, right? Yes. So there's, uh, I would argue that a lot of the people adopting WordPress are doing so because in evaluating all the options out there, including the network effects of like the developers, the knowledge, the plugins, the themes, the ecosystem, everything, uh, WordPress compares pretty favorably to the ones out there, both on the enterprise side, the consumer side, the site builder, et cetera. Maybe it's also the price. You know, it's open source. It's free. You can get million dollar software for nothing. That's, that's a good deal. People like that. I would argue you said that if someone forked Rails, Snoopy on Pails, which uh, <laughs> I like the name of, probably wouldn't get a lot of users. I would say that that speaks a little bit to your stewardship of it and that you probably bug a lot of people all the time. So do I. Um, but not to anything that is like gross mismanagement that would cause a really big part of the community to go. So, you know, a typical release of WordPress has four or 500 contributors. Maybe 10% of that is from Automatic, like 40 or 50. And they're important people. Like we, we do try to contribute as much as possible. But if 200 of those went someplace else because I did something really brain dead, yeah, that would be a pretty serious competitor. And there are some examples of that in open source history. Um, Joomla itself, I think, used to be Mambo. WordPress itself was a fork of B2, you know, 16 years ago. And more recently, we see things like MySQL and MariaDB. And there's lots of other examples where you can have a fork that if you, uh, if you put enough weight behind it or it, it gets enough of the community going, it can actually be pretty interesting and take over as, say, WordPress and B2 did. Right. So so the possibility is there, right? But I, I think that there's still just an inherent, to me at least, not just aesthetic, but real issue with uh, concentration and the death of diversity in terms of real effects, right? Like WordPress sits on, on a third of it and is so much larger than anyone else. So even if it is possible, sort of in theory, that someone could fork it, and in theory, someone could sort of usurp it, but what what's the likelihood? And what happens while that's not happening? As you say, with network effects, actually WordPress, I think, has a ton of network effects, right? Like when a platform is so large and so dominant, it's likely to attract all the plug-in writers and all the theme builders and because that's the main marketplace in much the same way that people go like well of course we sell on amazon that's where the customers are and you could say like well people choose to shop on amazon yeah they they do does that mean that it's not a, a problem that they're growing in sort of monopolistic ways or, or how they can flex the power that they derive from that position i think it still is i i think we're, we're living through an era right now where uh, a small handful of big tech companies are exerting a completely undue amount of power over the internet, over discourse, over all sorts of things. Um, 
And that that's something we should try to recoil from and at least learn from. And at the very, very least, not aspire to building more of. And I think that that was kind of what at least tickled me and, and got this going, right? Like that, why isn't WordPress in a great place, quote unquote, only being a third of all the sites on the internet? Why does it need to get to 85%? Why does growth need to be that explosive and that wild? And then let me answer that question first, at least in my, my stereotype of that answer. And that stereotype <laughs> of that answer is because that's not how venture capital works. You don't get venture capital to the tune of half a billion dollars by saying, hey, things are great. We'd love to stay here, right? Like you get it because you tell a compelling extremely rapid exponential growth story. And that's the part that scares me because I think uh, when you look at all these big tech companies, the vast majority of them uh, got into this position fueled by venture capital and then they exploited those positions uh, based on on that venture capital and we were all so much worse off. And I don't want to be worse off when it comes to, to blogging and I don't want to see just this concentration of power in one engine, no matter how good it is. I think that's the other part that I take note to is there's one theory of, of monopolist enforcement that's just consumer harm, right? Like, is is Amazon bad for the consumer in the sense of, like, do they raise prices? or do they? I think there's, there's some great uh, pushback to that theory coming up now, bubbling up now and saying, you know what? Consumer harm is not the only thing that matters. A, a general sense of concentration of power is also a thing that matters, and we should tackle that directly. I, I mean... Of course, this is an imperfect comparison. WordPress is not Facebook or Google. There are differences around like open source and so on, but mm, I'm finding that those differences are often overstated. Like Facebook can also point to tons of their shit being open source. Hey, we open source all our secret sauce to how to build, I don't know, make PHP run fast or uh, databases. And Google could say the same thing. And yet it doesn't change the fact that they're clearly monopolies. And in my opinion, clearly bad for well, the web. And they don't allow you to, to run Facebook or Google. But, but even, but even like if they can, did. You get the building yes, blocks. But even but if they did, would it change that's things? That's what's actually pretty interesting. You think? Yeah. So, I mean, we're pretty unique in that WordPress.com runs core WordPress. So it's a multi-site instantation of the so- same software that you can download and run. And that is that is fairly unique, actually. And in fact, there are people who run large multi-site WordPress instances with hundreds of thousands or millions of uh, sites on them. And that's that's cool. Like I I would actually love if, let's say, one of our big competitors like Wix switched to WordPress, right? Because then we would, you know, collaborate on the the rails, if you will, or the sort of fundamentals like security, speed, login, whatever it is. And we can compete on maybe interesting user experiences or things built on top of that. But it's it feels so wasteful for to me for like people to reinvent the wheel a million times. And that's where, you know, to, to go to the WordPress point, well, one it's very important to distinguish that VCs did not invest in WordPress. They invested in automatic. This round we announced. The investment in WordPress and the WordPress ecosystem is huge. And I actually think about dominance a ton because if you look at really successful platforms, typically the bigger the company behind it. Uh, doesn't go over 5%. Funny, I was reading an old thing around the launch of Windows 95, which I don't know if you remember, but there was like a Rolling Stones song and people were standing in line to get Windows yep. 95. And Microsoft would talk about how for every dollar they made from Windows, $20 were made in the ecosystem by other companies. And it's remarkable. If you go to a lot of platforms, you see a similar ratio to that, like a, a 20 to 1 or about a 5% um, ratio. Automatic makes probably 2 or 3% of the revenue in the WordPress world. There's companies, including like GoDaddy, who might not contribute very much back to core, but probably have three or four times the number of subscribers than us actually running WordPress. Um, so it's kind of huge. And I think about that a lot. Like I want to grow the whole ecosystem, um, not just our slice of it. And our slice of it, you know, someone has said is worth $3 billion. Uh, it's exciting, but, and you actually did sell some shares to Bezos, yes. right? Yeah, so you have taken investment well, we, in the past. We haven't taken funding. I, I, maybe this is a lost point, but like Jason and I sold our own personal shares. Nothing went into the company to fund any operations. It went to fund a Lamborghini and some other fun shit, but um, nothing <laughs> into the company. Uh, I, I mean, still fair enough to say. By the way, I think that's right, totally fine. I have no qualms. I sort of, I tell that story all the time. It's not that like selling equity in itself 
is a problem. I have a problem, generally speaking, on sort of the industry terms with the equity that's being bought by venture capital and sort of the economics that that model runs on, like a grand slam, monopoly pushing set of economics that like, so you take 300 million at 10%, like what does normal venture capital economics want back? Do they want 310 million back? No, they want 3 billion back, right? Like they, they need a 10 to 1 uh, grand slam hit. Well, I, you're thinking, you're mixing up late stage and early stage. True, there. true, to some extent. So so early stage is, is making bets. They expect a lot of things to go to zero and they want some 10 baggers or more in there. Um, late stage, I mean, they're trying to beat index funds in S&P. So if the market's growing at 10 or 15%, you're growing at 30% every year, they look really good and are really happy. And almost none of, none of their investments go to zero. So it's a completely different capital market. But I mean, even if you if you if you look at if you look at that category, right? Like, what would WordPress look like if it had for ten years to grow thirty percent a year? This is where I just want to focus back on on your own aspirations here. You end up with aspirations that are exactly that, right? What would it look like if eighty five percent of the internet was run on WordPress? And that that to me is perhaps where we come back to the fundamental disagreement. Me, that would look dystopian, like. Any one platform, I don't care whether it's open source or it's my platform, anyone else's platform, once it dominates 85% of like a media of expression, like that's fucking terrible. Like, isn't, isn't this what uh, um, kind of when capitalists joke about? I just saw a tweet the other day about um, Cuba and some fucking right wing dude was holding up or, or was in a supermarket and there was this whole row just of one kind of cereal. And they all went like, ha, 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 this is what you get with um, with communism. You get one kind of cereal. And I was like, isn't the joke here that that's what capitalism is trying to do in, in all these different segments? That like we're trying to get like one brand of blogging, one brand of, I don't know, microblogging, one brand of social networks. And, and then I thought, like, yeah, actually, that's not that funny. That's, that's just a tragic. tough analogy, though. Maybe the better analogy would be our cereal aisles have like 100 cereals but they're mostly from the same company. Right, would that be a better yeah, kind I of... I think it'd still be pretty bad, right? Like That's basically just like yeah. uh, labeling exercises. Well, no, I'm just trying to help the analogy. But, you know, I think part of what's going on here is also, you know, you've referred to WordPress a lot of times as, as blogging. And I think of it more really like a platform. That's why the examples I use are platforms. So if you look at how a lot of people are building on it, they use WordPress to bootstrap something that doesn't look like WordPress at all. So it might not even have a website. It might be powering just an API. It might be what some people call headless or decoupled installations. Could be a store. It could be, you know, there's, there's big platforms that use it for, to power their user system because we've shown that it's a user structure and schema that scales to hundreds of millions of users. So you know, just things built in there that, um, that people are building on it. And so much like the same way, like, I don't know exactly what percentage of the web runs like Apache or Nginx, but let's call it a huge percentage, probably over 34%. That's okay. That doesn't prevent like the different types of websites that are built on it. If Nginx got to 80, 85%, that I don't think would prevent any of the diversity or, or what people could put on there, on their websites. Same way with WordPress. WordPress could get to 85% and it wouldn't mean that there's any sort of monoculture or lack of diversity. If anything, it would allow people to focus more on what's different and not recreating the WYSIWYG, the user system, the login, all that sort of stuff that we've all built a million times and you just don't need to anymore if if something like WordPress solves your needs. Yeah, I I think I used to believe that and, and I think I even used to push that somewhat with Ruby on Rails and I've really come to for me personally, regret that line of thinking. I think just consolidation in itself is an issue for all sorts of reasons that monoculture is an issue, that once you're down to one grain and you get one pest that affects that, oh, all of a sudden you wipe out, what, 85% of the the grain harvest that year. And I think that that's not that unrealistic of a comparison to the web. There, there's value in diversity in and of itself on all these different levels. Also on ideas. I think a great example, you go like, well, why would we want to keep rebuilding WYSIWYG over and over again? Well, because there's a bunch of good different ideas that could come out of that, um, which is funny. Like we actually built our own WYSIWYG editor at, uh, at, at Basecamp. <laughs> and why did we do that? There were all sorts of uh, uh, ones already out there. And you could say like, well, this is a solved problem. We never need to think about this again. Sure we do. 
it's pretty bad if we get to the point where we think it's the end of history. That well, all the innovation that's ever been. But you must use libraries. You must use some things off the shelf. Oh, I right? do, but I don't want any of those libraries off the shelf to be so dominant as to be essentially the entire market. Just like I, I would fucking hate if Ruby and Rails had like an eighty-five percent market share of web frameworks. Um, first of all, the constituency you'd have to fit under that umbrella would be so, ironically enough, diverse that. Y- you'd have people wanting to walk in completely different directions. And I think this is one of the things that's often true with software is that you simply cannot serve the needs of everyone with one implementation. And when you try to, you end up making all of them miserable. That uh, an expression of like, let's say how a blogging system should be, um, that's artistic, it's scientific, it's taste. It's all these things that go into building software. And to think that like, well, there'll just be one size platform that fits all uh, again i'm just thinking of like what is the future i would like to live in what does a healthy open free internet look like to me it looks like an internet with tons of different providers tons of different tooling where what we collaborate around is protocols not consolidation of software market share that gives individuals, companies, or even projects, outsized power to dictate the matters of the internet. Because I think the analogy you gave with um, if, I think it was Wix you said, like if if they dropped whatever they're doing and like, let's just focus on the same um, engine, um, reminds me a lot of what happened with Chrome. And someone brought it up in the thread, or maybe I brought it up in the thread uh, on Twitter, where uh, Microsoft... I think I did. I said I liked you it. You liked it, yes. That Microsoft dropped having their own rendering engine, and then they just said, ah, fuck it. We're going to throw in the towel, and we're just going to go with Chrome, with the same Chrome rendering engine. And it's worth saying here that the Chromium rendering engine is open right. source. yes. So they can build a completely unique user experience on top of it, everything. Totally. Uh, but yes. they're, they're contributing to this common way of interpreting HTML and displaying Correct. it to users. How did the web fare last time a single rendering engine had what did they get to i think they got to like 92 percent. maybe they only got to 85 percent. i should actually look that shit up because um <laughs> but that was proprietary engine what? it wasn't open source to engine. me I, I i don't that's a, a distinction with with some difference in some cases and a lot of non-difference in a lot of other cases this idea that once you have a rendering engine for example let's take that example once you have a in- rendering engine that sits on 85 percent of the internet what happens and we can answer this question pretty well because we saw what happened. Developers start developing just against that. They stop developing against protocols. So you stop having a healthy ecosystem because you turn away from protocols and you turn towards implementations. And those implementations are quote-unquote owned, whether it's equity-owned in terms of companies dominating or it's mindshare-owned or it's controlled in terms of having an outside influence by a small number of people who who set the tone in it, they're owned. There's power. Like whether we call that power open source or we call it proprietary or or whatever we call it, it's power. And having a lot of power vested in a few people has a tendency to corrupt. The software world has just endless examples of what happens when we consolidate power into the hands of a few people. And it's very rarely a great story. Let's take the ideal stage. I think there was some time in like 2008 or whatever where there were like three different rendering engines, Firefox and Chrome and Internet Explorer and WebKit. They all had, I don't remember what it was, like maybe 20% each, right? That was a better web. That was a terrible web. It was such a pain in the butt. (laughs) Yes, it was a pain in the butt. And I say this as someone who was on the web standards project because the standards weren't there. I think that was part of the problem. So the standards were not moving fast enough. There was no HTML5. It was like bad XHTML and HTML4. CSS wasn't being iterated fast enough. So that's why they, the standards fell behind the browsers. And then the browsers would have quirks in their implementation of the same thing because they weren't able to work together in the same yes. engine. Like I love the idea that like if, if the Microsoft folks find something wrong with a CSS attribute that's being interpreted a different way, if they fix that, that can go upstream or they can have a public discussion on the bug tracker for Chromium and argue with Google or whoever it might be about what's the right answer. Because we'll search for truth, not just for whatever, you know, different engineers building the same thing happen to have as the quirks of the implementation. Right, but, but like n- that's, now, that's now not you, a true standard. Now you've given up on protocols, right? Like we might as well hand the internet then 
to Chromium and just say like, hey, let's fold uh, all the standards bodies. You as an implementation, whatever you say will be truth anyway. So why bother with this whole thing of, of protocols? Well, I think the internet in its magic is the magic of protocols. It is the magic of diverse, different implementations. And that magic is not free. You're absolutely right. It is much easier for, let's say, Apple to control exactly how the API should work for Objective-C or Swift or whatever. They control the whole goddamn thing. Now, if that was all there was and the developing for the internet was the same thing, that we were all just subjects of a single project and not a set of protocols, fuck, like... That erases a huge part of why I'm interested in developing for the web and why I'm not that keen on developing for native platforms, right? Um, it really is a struggle between what do you go for? Do you go for implementations or do you go for protocols? I, I think if you look at the history of the web, all the most successful protocols were often accompanied by reference implementations or great open source software to implement them. And they typically were extractions of things people were doing versus our oh, architecture astro- yes. astronomy of like what would be the theoretical thing. The theoretical, we're just going to make the standard, almost fails every single time. But you need the, you need the competition between the actual different... I think you need people need to be free to experiment and then you standardize on what works. Yes. And, but that's, but, but how, how can you do off, that like, when if, if you have a single... Uh, let's say rendering engine, for example, Chromium, sit on 85% of the, of the platform. There's not going to be any experimentation. We, we went through that, i.e. Well, it creates a big fat target. <laughs> if you can knock them off the, the king of the hill, you have a huge barrier. Yes, like, true, you don't true. believe there's like thousands of entrepreneurs trying to de-seat WordPress? Right, but until that happens, or, or, or if it doesn't, we go through the dark ages, exactly as we went through the dark ages with IE6, and IE6 sitting at 90% of the market. Anyway, I'm just, I'm, I'm making the argument Except that- IE6 was totally closed. Like, I would say a big difference is that, you know, you talked about monocultures and grains, but we're not a grain, we're the soil, right? There's 50,000 plugins and themes built on top of it. And you can literally modify the code or use the frameworks or just write your own and have a really, really interesting alternative. I think also a big difference, you know, 85% when I talk about that, um, that's not a goal. Like I don't wake up in the morning saying, oh, how do I get another percent? Um, it's a trailing indicator. So it's a trailing indicator of what I get passionate about was like, how do we create the best possible experience for developers and users so that they adopt it. And how do we track how we're doing there? Well, let's look at the adoption, just like you have any sort of metric. Um, but there's nothing we do that tries to game that metric or like tries to move it specifically. It's just, how do we make that better user experience? Which I think is a noble goal to have as an individual company. I'm trying to zoom out and like, what should the goal be for our industry? Should the goal for our industry be that like one company, one project, one rendering engine, one blogging engine ends up with all the spoils in in essence and I go like do you know what that works out pretty well for the individual company so I can see like with a CEO hat you go like well that's what I should be doing and then I also see that sort of the rest of us in the in the peanut gallery uh, worrying about the health of the industry and of the web and, and so on we should be countering that we should be looking at like how can we make sure we don't end up in that situation. This reminds me actually of uh, have you played the Settlers of Catan? A, a okay. few times. It's pretty it's fun. A great game. And so it's like a, a multiplayer game, and, and it's all sort of collaborative in the start. And then what I've found whenever I play Catan is whenever one player pulls ahead, sort of towards the end phase of the game, what usually happens is this very healthy thing that all the rest of the players go like, yeah, let's stop trading with that person. And that's exactly how I feel about this, where it's funny, we didn't even actually introduce this. So the blog that we run at Basecamp, Signal versus Noise, runs on WordPress. (laughs) You guys (laughs) uh, helped us get on that. And we run on the um, hosted version. It's been great. Um, We sort of evacuated from Medium. And, and we got on this platform and we've been happy in that. But I sit a little bit now with the taste in my mouth that like I should be one of the other players in the end stage of the Settlers of Catan. And simply for the health of the internet to make it as grand as possible, like maybe we should have made a different choice. Not because WordPress is not great. Not because you're not great. Not because there's not a great team. Because all of that shit is irrelevant to the health and long-term sort of vibrancy 
of the internet. This is what I advocate when it comes to browser uh, browser engines. Right? That I basically refuse to surf the web in Chrome. Like I only use Chrome when I have to, which is usually when some fucking developer has decided that Chrome is the internet and you have to use Chrome to <laughs> use your application, which happens. <laughs> you must test in it though when you build things. Um, we have people at the company who do that. So I mostly rely on other <laughs> people doing that because obviously you have to. They're, they're dominant, right? Like that's the spoils of dominance. But that I try to spend my time in Firefox and I try to spend my time in Safari because those are two minority browsers and just that alone is worthy of doing it, right? So to get back to this point is that like, if this was the only thing that we cared about at Basecamp, I would go like, you know what? We should have picked whatever number two or three or four or five or ten is if we want a healthy internet that's that's um, not in the hands of one company, one project or, or whatever. At Basecamp, right? We make commercial software. We sell commercial software. We're in a market. You could define that. Let's just define it as project management or company communication. You could define that as a slice of cake and... You could say we have, I don't know, 1% of that. Well, however you slice the cake, maybe we have 5%, 2%, whatever percent we have. I think it's possible to be a capitalist, to run a company, and not have aspirations of domination. And I, I guess I'm just projecting here. Like, I wish that more companies thought like that. I wish that when I read, you go like, oh man, imagine if we just got to 85%. Wouldn't that be sort of, kind of awesome there, there's something would kick in and you just go like okay yeah, i can see that just in this narrow view of this one company maybe that would be awesome and it would be awesome for our investors and shareholders and me and that sort of relatively small i would argue it, it'd but, be it'd be awesome for the web actually is that your final answer <laughs> no <laughs> really because you're attacking a straw man I, right no, now. I'm, I'm just i'm just for me the 85 is is a result right it's not the goal sure sure and that's really really important to say um, and two, you don't think, oh, do, you don't two, think like Facebook or things, whatever would argue the same? They are where they are because they're awesome. No, no, no. Because, well, I think I feel a little caught up in some uh, very rightful concerns you have about one, proprietary companies, and two, just kind of startup funding culture in general. Um, you know, if there's two things I'll ask you to consider, we don't have to do it now, but like post this conversation, you've given me a lot to think about as well. It's one that open source platforms are fundamentally different from proprietary platforms in their adoption. And in fact, I bet you can think of lots of cases where when an open source platform gets widely adopted, it becomes more like a protocol than a product. It becomes something that a lot of diversity and interesting things are built on. And two, that it's not zero sum. You know, we're not talking about land. We're not talking about settlers of Catan. We're not talking about fields. We're talking about the digital world. And there is so much possibility and abundance created by, you know, the platforms that came before us. WordPress could not exist with so much that we're built on top of that people don't think about anymore. They don't think about the web server. They don't think about their database server. They don't think about the language sometimes if they're using it as a consumer point of view. And so we're, we used to think about those things a ton. Like you used to choose your blogging engine or your website engine by kind of the technology stack. And now people look at the user interface. And in the future, maybe they, we all have really good UIs and they're looking at who helps you meet your business goals. And it's like, I don't know, but the layers of abstraction that users need to think about changes. And that means it's not zero sum at all. That's why Shopify can build a $30 billion business, 10 times our valuation on a small slice of the domains or users. There's so much opportunity out there and I think there's going to be more every day. And it's not any sort of like trailing adoption or standardization on an open source stack doesn't prevent that at all. I think good points. I'd say for me, looking at something like Shopify and why I've been a little bit of a cheerleader, um, I mean, I'm horribly biased on, on the topic of Shopify, both because I'm a... They use Rails, they right? They use Rails. Not only do they use Rails, they uh, help bring the platform forward. The CEO, Toby, was one of the original Rails core members. I'm a good friend of Toby. So sort of anyone should take the following with that amount of disclaimer. Um, my argument would be that that is exactly how... I love to see the expression of the marketplace, that someone can build a valuable business without capturing the market, that you can 
build value, as, as you say, they've built a, whatever, $30, $40 billion business off 1%. That to me is, is a beautiful expression of capitalism actually working. I mean, you could then argue about Smith and Wesson might have 1% of the gun market. Like, well, isn't that beautiful capitalism? Eh, maybe not. Like, the particulars matter too. But th- this idea that, like, they're not, the amount of power vested in them to, to get to that value is very low. Versus, that's what I worry about. The, the amount of power that gets vested into these uh, dominating platforms is huge. And I think we're actually overdue a conversation in open source about power. And we've been coy about it for a long fucking time in ways that have helped not serve people, but actually end up silencing them or sidelining them or whatever, that there's a tremendous amount of power. I mean, a lot of open source projects kind of give a a, a wink and a nudge to it. I think in Python, they called uh, Guido the benevolent dictator for life. Like, what is that if not an expression of the power that someone holds? Again, it doesn't mean it's the same kind of power as capitalist power and that I literally own the means of production and I, I can sort of fire you or whatever. But it's power nonetheless. And I think that that power deserves to be interrogated. And I think ultimately it needs to be constrained that the open source world and the world of software and the world of the internet is better when power is checked. And power is better checked when no one sits on basically all of the pie. At, at this point, I would like to offer to listeners that if you go to the Wikipedia page for Benevolent Dictator for Life, you will see David Heimer Hansen for Ruby on Rails on the page. By the way, I'm there too for WordPress. And I, I hate that term. It was funny. I was just on another, I was, on a, I was actually on a, a, a Django podcast yesterday and we were talking about this and they were like, oh, isn't this great? Like you're Benevolent Dictator for Life. I fucking know it's not great. In fact, if there's any moniker or, or label that gets attached to me that really makes me question what I do with Rails, it's that. That that is an inherently, to me, and my both aesthetics and ethics, revolting term. This idea that there is this dictator and like we should just be happy because they happen to make good choices right now. Oh, fuck. Like that's, it's not a good governing model. And I think like, see, what was the other scandal that just happened this month, right? Free software, Stallman, Stallman right? Yeah. Stallman, I yeah, mean, was, was, was he more or less terrible. the sort of benevolent and dictator for life of that organization? Yeah, he kind of was. He's he's not on the Wikipedia I, page I, though, for what it's <laughs> worth. <laughs> I, I think most <laughs> people would probably removed. give him that label or would have given him that label. Did he accrue substantial power from that? Oh, absolutely, right? Did he misuse that power in all sorts of ways? Absolutely. And this is what makes me uncomfortable about this whole thing. That once we set it up as though, oh, we're just a bunch of benevolent dictators. First of all, where do you get that shit from? Like, how do you know that that's just benevolence this is coming from? This is ascribing things to people that you really can't. And I think in the case of Stallman, um, now it's clearly played out as like, that was not a accurate label. Um, and, and in either case, that we deserve to interrogate all this power that's flowing through open source. I mean, if anything, the, the discussion right now, and, and funnily enough, I'm often on the other side of the, the spectrum here about like the expropriation of free open source labor and how it have a tendency to accumulate wealth to a handful of, of highly successful companies. And then you have a bunch of programmers who basically get none out of it, right? Like, the irony here is I just argued the other side of that uh, of that coin and, and, and that you should do open source for, for sort of other reasons <laughs> and so on. But I think the discussion itself I'm very much interested in because it is about power and about making the power explicit and not hiding behind that. Like, hey, it's just open source. Everyone could do everything and like anyone could fork it and so on. It just doesn't happen. And like we have enough history now of like, what, 30, 40 years of open source to see what actually happens and what doesn't happen. Stallman happened. Major forks that turn out great very rarely happen. And when they do happen, they're usually, like you said, with MariaDB and, um, and MySQL because the person who was behind MySQL sold it for a billion dollars, then decided, well, fuck it. I'm just going to make my own thing again, right? It's not exactly just like, oh, it was just a common person who rose up and made a fork and it turned out great. Like the number of cases you can cite of that, it's a very small list. Ah, but it, it's a, sometimes they're big. I mean, WordPress itself being an example. Right, it was a fork of an existing platform. I think in the benevolent dictator, which is an interesting sidebar, I really like the benevolent part. And 
again, I think on the dictator part, I don't love that terminology. I don't think either of us would, would be attached to that. But in other places, you know, companies, they typically have a CEO. Countries, they typically have presidents or something like that. And all these systems are set up to have checks and balances, whether that's a board or shareholders or voters or things like that. You know, and if you don't like your country, for example, it's really actually difficult to move to another one and opt into like a different governance system. Uh, but in software, it is a hundred, a thousand, a million times easier than like uprooting your family and your friends and everything like that and moving to a different country. So, and actually Free Software Foundation is a good example of that. Myself and many others drifted away from them over the years. Uh, so even though they started things, their influence got smaller and smaller and smaller as they took positions which didn't really align with the future or where people were going or where their constituents, you know, be that developers, users, donors, whatever, um, were headed. To the extent that Rails is doing great, WordPress is doing great, et cetera, I think that we've been responsive to changes in the marketplace. You know, why I think that term started as a joke, there is something interesting that with a lot of these open source projects, there's almost nothing you can name on the list that has a committee-based leadership structure. And I think about that all the time. Like, why is it difficult for committees or an alternative governance structures to create really great software, back-end software, front-end software? You typically have something more like a director of a movie or a you know conductor of an orchestra. There's no perfect analogies because it's software, it's different. But like, you typically have like a person with whom a great deal of decision-making power for determining the platform rests. And that is often a good thing. Uh, for the health and quality of the platform. And I don't mind it as much because we have these checks and balances of with open source forking or, you know, all sorts of different ways that people can opt out of that person's um, power. I, I can see the advantages of sort of director of like, how do you get good software, right? But I think the checks and balances, balances they start to fall apart um, as you accumulate power. And I think it's one of the reasons, for example, that it took, what, 30 years of incriminating stories about Stallman for that to finally fall. You'd say like, well, that's accountability. Like, yeah, accountability over the course of three decades is kind of some slow moving wheels of justice here. If you take, say, a WordPress at 85%, like how slow would the wheels of justice and accountability move versus if WordPress is just like 5% of the market? Like what are the switching costs for someone to vote with their feet, right? Like to, to walk out and oh, I'll just go to any of the other 20 platforms that all have 5% of the market and I'll, I'll take my stuff there versus, well, I have to uproot maybe not to the level of nation state, but like just look at how hard it is for people to fucking quit technology in general. How many people have quit Facebook regardless of the, I mean, hundreds of scandals at this point, Right. Facebook has suffered essentially zero accountability for all their malfeasance. Uh, and it's not just Facebook. Look at Uber, look at all these other companies where they end up in a mon- monopolistic situation. The inertia of that monopoly is so strong that all their malfeasance essentially gets swept away. If, if you look at the landscape of technology today, I don't think it's a landscape of fucking accountability. Power has its own inertia, and that is a problem in and of itself, regardless of how benevolent it's being wielded. Uh, we should be incredibly suspect of concentration, not the least because we have all these cases of concentration out in the wild that were the opposite of benevolent, right? Like, I don't think anyone would use the word benevolent about Facebook or Google or Amazon but, but, or Uber, right? Like they're... Mm. But those are all proprietary. Remember sure, I asked sure. you to yep. consider no, proprietary I, I, versus I, I open agree, source. right? There's an interesting thing that happens. This is why I want to use the broader that, examples I mean, of like say Stallman and the Free Software yeah. Foundation. So and just to say that like... Well, but that's not a good example either because he was pretty irrelevant, to be honest. Like he would go around and give talks, the same talk he's gave for 20 years, but he wasn't like running something big or something influential. Well, I, I mean, he surely um, was I hope that. So that I don't think put, we can, I mean, I agree. It's not the same well, thing and we not, can't. Not a product that like people are using. I think there's an interesting thing there, which is, well, first I'm not going to defend Facebook or any of those companies. Like I'm not the person to, <laughs> I'm probably more in agreement with you than anything. But for open source, there's an interesting pattern that the bigger it gets, the more widely adopted some sort of open source standard is. The actually easier it moves to get, move away from it. And in WordPress's case, for example, if you were on one of the really small CMSs and you want to migrate to another one, 
you would actually have a hard time with that data migration because no one's built the kind of system to go in between those. In fact, what might be your easiest thing to do is migrate to WordPress and then get it back out of WordPress into this other small thing you want to move to. And the reason for that is that as WordPress has gotten bigger and bigger and it's got open data, it's open source, people have built uh, great importers and exporters for it. So, you know, everyone starting a CMS today is going to have a WordPress importer because it's got lots of usage. And so that creates a de facto more freedom of the thing that has more concentration of usage, where if you were on one of the small things, like, again, you'd find it more challenging to switch. Yes, but as a veil, in my opinion, because as you just said uh, at the at the top of the show here, that like WordPress is growing at what? 10x the next competitor several times the next competitor like so so the mathematics or the stats of it is that like even if that is a possibility it's not a possibility that's being widely used part of why i'm interested in having this conversation is because i'm wrestling with like all these topics myself and i'm i'm sort of i'm taking on some of these topics sort of a harder line perhaps than i would normally take just to explore the the territory in other in other cases of this discussion i think i'm taking exactly the line that i kind of feel is 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 true um i'm just curious to get your your take on um the tumblr thing and and maybe this is this is slightly off the agenda list but the reason i'm interested is because you just said well i i'd hate to be compared to like the likes of facebook and so on and one of the other things that kind of tinkled my warning bells a little bit was when you guys bought Tumblr, first of all, which I thought was great. Like most observers of the tech industry wouldn't necessarily point to Verizon. Let's use the word we were using earlier as benevolent, right? So getting Tumblr out of the claws of that, thumbs up. Um, getting it at a, at a fucking, what, uh, 98% discount, triple thumbs up. Just, I, I love all of that, right? Like plundering basically back from like the excesses of Yahoo and, and so forth. But where I am a little bit worried is, is later on in, in that announcement, or maybe it was an interview, you were talking about Tumblr and you were talking about its potential and you were talking about its potential particular for marketing. And this is one of the reasons I think that like we are in such a shithole right now in the industry and with Facebook and Google and so on is because surveillance capitalism is devouring the world. When we said like software is eating the world, mm, advertisement-based software is eating the world, I'd say. And Tumblr lives off advertisement, right? Unlike, say, WordPress. How do you think that that might change your business and your perspective? That all of a sudden now you own an advertisement-based business and to grow that advertisement, don't you need to basically do what everyone else is doing and introduce some surveillance capitalism and and sell ads based on user profiles rather than <laughs> just um, on interests? Because I don't even see, like, how does Tumblr otherwise make money? Yeah, this is a good question. Also, I think this is also meaty because I've been wrestling with this a lot. Uh, by the way, it's been a pleasure to talk. Uh, we didn't mention it earlier, but Rails, TextPattern, WordPress all used to be on the same server. <laughs> yes. so I used to log in <laughs> to SSH and see, like, I'd run W or who, and like, you'd be logged in there. DHH is logged in too. We'd be like, there's so much overlap so and intertwinedness of the history of, of the web, which is, I think, is also <laughs> why, like, th- this is such a privilege to be able to have these discussions with people who've been around for the duration, right? Like, there, there's not that many i think that like are still around in this sense of of leading major projects or whatever you want to call it and and sort of wrestling with the evolution of the industry that we saw it all the way from as we just talked about like 2001 i started blogging i don't know when you started blogging but like 20 years of blogging let's call it that and just see how the whole thing changes totally and by the way uh, next time we get on i would love to debate funding and fundraising and the VC model and investment for capital. Let's, for, let's, for let's schedule it part two that's, already. That's its whole topic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So to talk about Tumblr really quickly, um, one, it is true that they right now make all of their money from advertising. Um, it's not a ton. <laughs> and so automatic, this doesn't particularly change our like whole map. Like we are still a subscriber driven company. And actually you asked how we're going to, what's one way to make money from Tumblr that's not advertising? Oh, subscriptions. You know, there's things like selling domains and upgrades and other things that we've done for 10 plus years on WordPress.com that have been really successful that I'm curious to see what sort of flavor or version of that could be interesting for the Tumblr community. And it might be something totally different. Like maybe no one cares about buying a domain there, but they would love to be able to support creators, you know, because there's so many creatives and fun artists and everything on Tumblr. Like 
you could have like a built-in Patreon-like model. So you could support a creator you love at a price they set and you know, 95% of that yes. or more goes to the creator directly without like a ton of middlemen. So that's, that's a business we'd be totally interested in. On the advertising side, I am curious to see what we can do because Tumblr does have a critical mass of people spending time there. And uh, as you said, the alternatives in the social networking space tend to be less privacy focused. So taking some of what we love about privacy and user centricity, um, combining that with a network which is starting a little bit de novo, so kind of from scratch, building up an advertiser base and things. How do you even sell that without going down surveillance capitalism? Are you going to sell that advertisement based on like the visitor and a profile of them or based on the content? That to me is really, I know this is a whole another, maybe even two podcasts to dive into, but to me, the dividing line on the internet today, whether advertisement is sold on say the DuckDuckGo model where they sell based on search terms or you sell it on the Google slash Facebook model, which is to sell it based on the visitors and profiles of them. Yeah, I think you want to architect the system to hold the principles that you think are important. And by the way, like we said earlier, we do plan to open source as much as Tumblr as possible, including switching the back end to be WordPress. So what you'll see that what I, I'm interested in is, well, it's really more an interest. So it's closer to DuckDuckGo or Reddit than it is based on user targeting. And the reason for that, one of the cool things about Tumblr is you can have different identities on it. So you can have an identity that follows all your favorite comics, right. an identity that follows all your favorite programming blogs. And so logically, like just from my naive advertising mind, like I should see different ads in the context of what I'm following on different accounts. Yes. And so that requ- that's not easy, by the way. One, you need to understand the content. And two, I think you have to go out there and sell it separately. If you're just kind of plugging in standard IAB units, programmatically, highest bidder type advertising model, you are going to end up with either untargeted things or, or, or networks that might compromise privacy. But if you can have true native ads, and I know we've, oh, I get the sense Google isn't your favorite, but I think we should go back like 20 years and think what an innovation AdWords was. This idea that it wasn't loading external networks, right? It's, it's just showing a clean text ad that loaded with the page was fast, then have images or punched a monkey flash gifts or anything like that. Right. It was actually a pretty clean yep. model. And so I love the idea of this native advertising where the thing that's the ad is the same as the thing on the network. So people go to Tumblr to read posts and the posts are interesting. They can have all sorts of fun stuff. Like what if all the ads were post? And so there wasn't a tracking picture. There wasn't anything unless you clicked on it, I guess. Then you'd need to go. Which is kind of Twitter, right? Until then. Like that. Yeah, Twitter is one of the examples of creating yep. this. Instagram's actually done some interesting stuff there, although, like you said, they are part of well, Facebook, which I, has I, the most user data I in the I would world. say my main issue is, like, which ads show up in the feed? Are they based on the topic of, of what you're, like, the people you're following? Or are they based on some uh, elaborate profile that has been gathered up about you because these people will suck up all sorts of data sources to build like, hey, this is how you can target 14 to 17-year-olds who live in Florida and like, uh, I don't know. So that's why I was just yeah. curious where, where you it's fall a really on, tough business on, challenge. on that. If, if like, are you going to use basically information about the visitors that are outside of the universe of Tumblr to show them ads? That to me is surveillance capitalism. Or are you going to go sort of the DuckDuckGo approach of, of showing, or as you said, like just based on like what I choose to follow while I'm on Tumblr? Yeah, it's a, like I said, a really difficult business problem. So on day one, What's there is kind of more programmatic ads. So they're probably either buying broad things or they're not very targeted in general or based on broad demographics. Um, going forward, what I think could be really fun is, you know, if you can go from having a hundred advertisers to a thousand or two thousand, you could do a lot more of that sort of, uh, interest based targeting that felt like really relevant and exciting to people and didn't feel like something that was a record scratch when you're in a Tumblr feed. But to do that, you have to have a direct sales team. You need to onboard all those advertisers. Like that is a non-trivial problem. That's exciting and we're going to go for it, but it might not work. <laughs> the good news is uh, we have a great business model that we've been doing for, you know, over a decade now at the rest of automatic, which is subscriptions. And I just love that. Like your customers are your customers and you're providing them something really good. And as long as they get more value than what they're paying you, they keep doing so. And that's also inspired by their own signals. Like y'all have been doing that forever as well. Um, that's my native model. 
Uh, but I'm always open to trying new things. So this is a little bit of a new thing for us. And I'd love to check back in a year or two and like talk about how it went. Well, I, I love that sentiment. And I was about to give you an amen and a hallelujah. Um, but I, I will hold <laughs> your feet to the fire instead. And uh, I would expect nothing and, and, less. And track it on. Well, I think we've, we've sort of been going a good bit over the hour here. And I really want to thank you for your time and taking your time to, to wrestle with this. Um, I don't pretend to have the answers, even if I have strong opinions on him. And I think the, uh, the answers actually will shake out from strong engagements and strong arguments back and forth and the dialectic, as um, philosophers like to call it, of, uh, of trying to figure out what's the right way to go and what's the right way to take the internet and what's the, how do we do right by the internet? Like that's been one of the themes that's been bouncing around in my head for a couple of years at least, that there's, hey, I've been working on the internet for 20 years. Like, yes, it's, it's, it's great to continue to work at Basecamp and, and that, but there's also this other aspect of it. I, I serve a, a greater purpose, really. And I, I try to say that without gagging because the word purpose has kind of been hijacked by uh, the likes of WeWork and so on, um, expanding the world's consciousness and, and all this way where we take these esteemed words and we render them meaningless by laundering them through this commercial Tumblr. Uh, well, not Tumblr. Pun not intended. Um, yes, thank you so much. And, and I hope we can uh, continue the conversation about uh, venture capital in, uh, in another episode. I'd love to line that up because, uh, I mean, y- you have the goods, right, from, from the inside, sitting on uh, 500 million-ish of expectations. I'd love to <laughs> hear how that feels and like where that takes a company and how it helps or distracts from the direction you want to go to. And um, Maybe we can explore that in an upcoming episode. Yeah, and thank you for having a reasonable conversation on the internet. <laughs> That's too rare, and I, I really enjoyed the debate. Thanks a ton, Matt. This was awesome. Rework is produced by Waylon Wong and me, Sean Hildner. Our theme music is Broken by Design by Clipart. You can find David on Twitter at DHH. Matt is on Twitter at PhotoMatt. You can find us at Rework Podcast, and our website is rework.fm, where we'll post show notes for this episode. Next week, we have a very special episode where the creator of Snoopy on Pails talks open source with his pails. <laughs> <laughs> wah, 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 wah.